God's people said. Man, we'll be looking at a number of passages of Scripture tonight, so I'm not going to start out with one. Uh, but I want to think on the theme, Jesus through Peter's eyes. Jesus through Peter's eyes. What would it be like to meet Jesus in the flesh like he was when he walked with the disciples? I've wondered that before. The Bible gives us some insight, I think, about uh, what it was like by exposing to us the people who knew him best and how they interacted and re- related, I think, a little down. I think it's a little hot for me. Thank you. And I want to look at six ways that Jesus made known to Peter uh, through his brother at Peter's house, at Peter's boat, his fishing rod, his sword, and his heart those different ways in which Jesus is revealed through Peter's eyes as he reacted and was exposed to Jesus. A preacher and a lawyer and a doctor went hunting together, and they all shot at the same deer. When they went to tag it, they couldn't decide whose bullet had done the deed. And so they were discussing with a game warden and a game warden who was out there and said, can you help us? Uh, solve who shot the deer. And the game warden walked over, looked at it, and said, oh, I know who it is. It's the preacher. Well, how do you know that? He said, well, it went one ear and out the other. <laughs> I, think, I think we can see things differently, can't we? Each of us looks at a situation and sees it from a different perspective. Maybe you focus on a color or maybe you focus on a smell or maybe you see something in a different way than I see it. I know from interviewing people in events uh, in the police force that uh, you would talk to the same people and get different story from each one of them. Now, there'd be some similarities, but they would focus on different things. I, I think that is is possible for us when we begin to think about how we look at our perspective in Jesus. What would it be like to meet him? What would it be like to be in his presence and like Peter and the other disciples to walk with him and know him? Well, I think we can know him to a degree uh, as we read the scriptures and relate to what Peter did as he related to Jesus. I think it's important for us to think about Peter in this regard because he obviously had such a close relation to Jesus that it affected his life dynamically, right? I mean, think of some of the things that happened with Peter, that that some people fell dead before him or that his shadow healed people as he passed by or that he preached and thousands of people came to know the Lord. He obviously had, had an impact from his exposure to Jesus. There's no doubt about that. His life was radically changed. So I think it's important for us that it shows us that because he walked with Jesus, Peter's life was changed, he grew spiritually. We can then, I think, grow spiritually as well as we examine Peter's life and how it related to his his interactions with Jesus and how Jesus related to him and what Peter did and didn't do sometimes. So are we then, conforming to the image of Jesus, as the Bible tells us, are we becoming more like him? And, and is our relationship with Jesus such that some of these things might even be possible for us because we walk so closely with him? So Jesus, through Peter's eyes. First of all, 
Peter's brother. When, when you think about Jesus, how he entered Peter's life and how he uh, first came to know him, you cannot deny the fact that it was through his brother Andrew. It, it, it was not because that, that Peter found him first. It was because Andrew found him first. He was a follower of John the Baptist. And so Andrew, who followed John, who was the first prophet in 400 years, the, the guy who wore camel hair and ate locusts and honey, uh, when he saw Jesus pass by, John, he said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And Andrew overheard him and followed Jesus home and visited with him. When, when Andrew saw that this was the Messiah we had been waiting for, according to the person he had been following, John, who was supposed to be the forebearer, he was willing to follow Jesus. And so that's what he did. Then Andrew went and got Peter. And he told him what? Well, according to the scripture, he says, we have found the Messiah. He knew that that was the Christ. The word found there in the Greek language is eukaryamen. We get the word eureka from it. I have found it. It's a marvelous thing. It's a great thing. It's the thing that I have been looking for. It's a wonderful discovery. And Andrew, along with all the Jews, had sought and now had found the Messiah. So we see that it is Andrew who first discovers and then goes to his brother and says, we found him. We found the Messiah. John 1, 41 through 42 says, and he brought Peter to Jesus. What a wonderful thing in a family to be led to the Lord by a family member. I was. As I sit in front of the television, I'm sure just watching Billy Graham, my mother led me to the Lord. I, I, it's a great memory. And what a wonderful thing that, that Andrew brought his brother to Jesus. And Jesus said of him, what? You shall be called Cephas. You're going to be the rock. First rock and roll star, somebody's choked in, in the Bible, is Peter. Here he is, already named by Jesus. As soon as he meets him, he knows what Peter will be like for the church. But then that leaves Andrew. Andrew, who the one who had discovered the Messiah. Andrew, the one who had gotten his brother. The brother who would outshadow him in everything. And yet we look at Andrew and we're amazed. Andrew never wrote an epistle. Andrew never started a church. But Andrew was instrumental in bringing Peter to Jesus. I have somewhere in my notes the, the lineage of Billy Graham spiritually, you know, where he came from and who led him to the Lord and who led that person to the Lord and who led that person to the Lord, you know, and you go back far enough and it's some country preacher in the middle of nowhere who started the line that led one of the greatest evangelists to the Lord that Christianity has ever known spoken to more people than anyone about Jesus all over the world and on television. No one has ever gotten close to what Billy Graham has done. He's with the Lord in his, his reward now. But when I think about that backwoods country preacher who led the first person who would eventually lead Billy Graham to the Lord, nobody remembers his name. I mean, I have it in a book somewhere, but I can't even remember it right now. 
But I wonder what that man's reward's going to be. You helped start this because you were faithful. Millions came to know the Lord. You, you may never accomplish anything like Andrew really. I mean, what it, as far as disciples go, you know, we know he preached, but there's no evidence like Peter. But yet he brought Peter to the Lord. We discover how he grew, Peter, through his brother. We also discover, secondly, Peter's house and his mother-in-law and his relation to Jesus. Next came uh, Peter to his house. I'm glad that Jesus made house calls, aren't you? Can I get an amen? I mean, we don't get those anymore. Doctors don't make house calls anymore. But man, Jesus did. He went to a lot of houses. And one of the houses he went to was Peter's mother-in-law who was sick. And the Bible says in Luke, had a great fever. Uh, we think that maybe that describes a high fever in, in terms of you and I thinking that would probably be 103, 104. It wasn't a mild fever. It was one that was an illness that could kill people back then. Because they didn't have the medicine you and I have. John 1 says that it came to the place where he wanted to touch her. Jesus healed a lot of people. I don't know if it's bacterial. I don't know if it was something else that was ravaging her body. But Mark says that in 131, Jesus healed her. Jesus didn't even have to touch her many times. He just spoke to the people and they were healed. But Jesus frequently touched people. I think he wants to touch you and I too. When I read this story and I see what happened in Peter's mother-in-law's life, I believe Jesus wants to get out of us that which is dangerous in us too. And I look at Peter's life and I see how he responded to his family and how it happened. In fact... When you follow the whole story, the whole town gathered at the door and Jesus healed them, it said, because of Peter's bringing Jesus to his house, to his mother-in-law, it affected multiple people because of Jesus' touch. I would remind you again, you never know that the one person you go to see will not open the door to multitudes. There have been times in my ministry when I've led a person to the Lord and then that person got on fire and they brought their family and they brought their cousins and they brought their cousins kids and I have seen it where one person has brought dozens into the church because they discovered and were touched by Jesus I look at Peter's life and I see that that is certainly something that can happen when we relate to Jesus his touch his healing power can be evident in our lives and it may touch multitudes if we'll open the door to reach them and make house calls. Three, Peter's boats and nets. We relate to Peter because probably, I think, when we think of him as being a fisherman, right? When I think of Peter first, I think of him being as a, a fisherman. All the shows and, and uh, stories that I have read about Peter, the idea is somehow he's a big burly guy and, you know, he just says what he wants, goes where he wants, you know, sticks his foot in his mouth too often. Uh, he's just an uncouth big fisherman. That's kind of how he's betrayed. One morning, Jesus asked to use Peter's boat to preach out of. The crowd was pushing Jesus closer and closer. And so to get away from the crowd and at least still preach to them, he said, let me go get in your boat. And he stood off the shore and he preached from the boat to the crowd. 
After he taught for a while, Jesus asked Peter to launch out, if you know the story, into the deep. As he goes out a little bit farther, Peter and his fellow workers had been fishing all night. At that point, the Bible had said, and they were exhausted and they had caught anything. And so they knew that it would be better at another time to fish. So trying to fish at midday was ridiculous. He was a fisherman. He knew where the fish were going to be and when they were going to be there. But nevertheless, the Bible says, because you asked me to, Master, I will go out. Having respect for Jesus, he did what he asked. Here's what Luke says in 5, 6 through 11. When they had done so, they caught a large number of fish and their nets began to break so that they signaled with their partners in the other boat and they came and both boats were so full that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and says, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of the fish they had taken. Jesus said, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. I look at that passage and I I think of that miracle and how it affected Peter so much. I mean, Peter had seen other miracles. It didn't affect him as much as this one did. They had been around Jesus. He had seen what he had done. He had healed other people. He had healed his mother-in-law, but it didn't seem to affect him that much. I think it was because it was his calling and his trade that Jesus had power over. He did something that Peter could never imagine happening never happened before to them you would have probably heard like it happened before or it happened at other times no it doesn't say that it it was a miracle it was obviously a miracle and it was his boat he should have known how to deal with his own boat it it was his nets he had used those same nets to catch fish but never like this and after all his effort and experience showed it meant nothing In the face of this one, he saw himself for what he was. This is God, is what he was saying. You are God. I'm not worthy to be at your feet. You're the Holy One. And he suddenly felt unworthy. Like the Old Testament prophet you mentioned, he saw himself as being unworthy of being the mouthpiece for God or being even in the boat with him. But then Jesus, I would remind you, said, don't be afraid. You now will fish for men. So they pulled up the boats, left them, and went away. Peter decided to leave his job and become a full-time disciple because of that event. I don't know what's touched your life, how Jesus has, has shaken your faith or got your attention through something. It may have been through uh, a, an illness in your family. It may have been through a monetary crisis. It could have been through a disaster that was averted or maybe you were in the midst of one and something happened around you that you didn't get affected and others did. I don't know. I mean, things have happened that have caught your attention. God will use many things and many people to smack us upside the head sometimes to get our attention, won't he? That we would look at him and see him for who he is, God. Sometimes we treat Jesus like a buddy. And although he says we can be a friend and he can call us Abba Father, yet he still is God, isn't he? He is all-powerful, all-knowing. 
I should have a, a level of respect and understanding that if he's asking me to do something, that it's first of all possible and that there is no one else that he's asking but me. So I'll respond. Maybe he needs to remind us to not be afraid. Don't be afraid. If God is asking you to do something, he will empower you to do that very thing. When I look at Peter's life, I discover that because of his boats and because of his nets. Also, fourth, I see Peter's fishing rod. Did you know that Peter had a fishing rod? Most people don't think about that. If, if you look at Matthew 17, 24, he talks about casting out his line Casting out his line. They fished from the shore like many fishermen have fished from the shore. If you look back in history, uh, hooks were not unknown in the Roman era. They were not maybe like you would think, and I have hooks, and they're made of some different material than you and I might make ours out of, but they still had them. Some would be bone, some would be brass, but they were available. And so Jesus tells him, to do something. I don't know if you remember the story. It was with Capernaum and the tax collector, and they were owing taxes to the temple. One of the people came and asked, does your master and disciples pay the temple tax? Yes, he does. They replied in Matthew 17, 24. Before he could ask Jesus about it, Jesus already knew what needed to happen. He's God. He's omniscient. And so he told Peter to take his fishing rod and go out and cast his line and to take the first fish you catch open its mouth and you will find a four drachma coin inside take that and go pay our taxes your tax and my tax imagine if you would peter going to go fishing with his fishing line. i mean you know they're in, a, they're in a group, they're following Jesus, and Peter picks up the fishing rod and goes to fish. You know the other disciples are going, where are you going? What are you doing? Where are you going, Peter? Where are you going? What are you going to do? I mean, they're, they're just, we're going to go. They were fishermen. They wanted to know what he was doing. And he'd probably say something like, uh, uh, nowhere, not really. I mean, did he want to say what was going to happen, what he knew was going to happen? Yeah, but you're carrying a fishing pole. What are you, you're going to catch something? You don't have any bait. What? What? Did you catch that? Just throw the line out. There's no issue of bait. Just throw it out, catch the first fish. He didn't say anything. I don't have any bait. What? <laughs> how are you going to catch a fish with no bait? I mean, I, 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 don't, I don't know, but the master said for me to go catch a fish. We've been fishing all our lives. Your father was a fisherman. We're fishermen. Surely you know you have to have bait to catch it. No wonder you're sneaking out. That's crazy. And yet he did it. You know, Christ could have commanded that a bag of coins be on the inside of that fish's mouth. But he gave him what they needed for that day. I look in the Old Testament and I think of the manna that God provided. You, you know the story that didn't last. Every morning they had to get up and collect the manna because God wanted them to depend on him daily. I learn, I think, again from Peter and his fishing rod that I need to depend on God daily for what happens. I may not understand how he's going to work a situation out, but that's really not me. I'm not omniscient. All I need to do is depend on him and trust him and believe that he will do what I may see as impossible. Maybe it's insurmountable to me, but it's not insurmountable to God. 
Can I get an amen? I don't know what God is wanting you to fish for. I don't know what he wants you to cast your line into. But he is doing something in your life like that that you need to trust and believe him for. Again, it may be physical, it may be financial, it may be family. I, I, I don't know, but I know he is. And he wants you to trust him in that. And like Peter, just grab your pole and go out and cast and believe that God will respond in a way that will answer what you need. I learned that through Peter's fishing rod. He provides for us. Fifth, I learned it through Peter's sword. In John 18.10, the story is the night that Jesus was arrested by the chief priest. He was in the Garden of Gethsemane, you remember, and, and the disciples are falling asleep all over themselves trying to stay awake. Chief priests priest sent a large company uh, into the garden to find Jesus. They were the temple guards. It wasn't the Romans. It was the temple guards that were going to bring Jesus for a trial. And you, you remember, Judas leads them. He kisses Jesus. You betray me with a kiss. And Malchus, the leader of the official high priest, was in charge. And when he stepped forward to arrest Jesus, as you know the story, Peter pulls out his short sword. The Bible describes it. Now, he didn't intend to cut off Malchus' ear. He meant to split his skull. And like anybody, he probably moved. And when he did, he cut off his ear, sliced his ear right off his head. I've always wanted to preach the sermon, The Man with Three Ears. Because when you read in the original text, it's that Jesus reached up and healed his ear. He didn't say he picked it up from the ground and put it back on. So somewhere there on the ground was another ear, people. And yet Jesus healed him completely and totally. How many of you know that Jesus doesn't need anybody to protect him? Sometimes we act like we need to protect God. We act like, you know, we're affronted on his behalf, of the way that the world speaks of, of our Savior. Jesus says in Matthew 26, 53, Do you not think I cannot call on my Father, and he will put at once at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels Jesus didn't need Peter's protection you and I both know he went to the cross willingly he was going because he wanted to he could have spoken a word and destroyed them all if you remember the story of Jesus in the garden in John he says are you the one we are seeking for and Jesus said the words I am and it said that everybody was flattened they fell down to the ground just the words did he need protection? No, he didn't. The Lord told Peter to put away his sword, and the early church never picked up the sword again. What they did wield was the love of Christ. That was their weapon. They loved one another, and they loved the people around them, and it changed the first century because of it. Six. And lastly, Jesus conquers Peter's heart. You know the story. After Peter fell from his, his position, after Peter denied Jesus three times, Jesus had died, Jesus was risen, Jesus was meeting with them, and 
Peter was uncomfortable. John 21, 3 says, he went and he said, I'm going fishing. He didn't want to wait around for Jesus. I'm sure he had in his mind, I've denied him. He's not wanting to see me. He doesn't want to be around me. Uh, I I can imagine things that went on in Peter's mind. And so he, he sets off. And then a man from the shore shouted, they should fish on the other side of the ship. And when they did, they caught so many they couldn't pull them in. And instantly, Peter knew who this was now. He couldn't recognize him before, but when he caught all those fish, this is Jesus. It's the same thing that has happened before. And so what does he do? He jumps and he swims. He went to shore, and after eating, you remember the story, three times, Jesus says, do you love me? He says, yes, but you remember from probably other sermons, he used a different word, the Greek word for brotherly love. Phileo is the word. We get the word Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, that same word. Jesus says, do you love me? I love you like a brother. Do you love me? I love you like a brother. And, and Jesus was asking him, do you agape me? Do you love me with a self-sacrificial love? But he doesn't answer with that word. He says, I love you like a brother two times. And then Jesus the third time says, do you love me like a brother even? And that is when Peter cried because he he struck him at his heart. Do you even love me that much? It was at that point that he broke, but it was at that point that he experienced mercy and forgiveness because he was willing to admit that maybe he didn't do all he could to love Jesus. I think Jesus wants me to answer that question and you. Do do we really love him? Do I love him enough? Do I love him as much as he wants me to? Uh, Am am I really devoted to him? Um, Am I I like the church in the book of Revelation, the church of Ephesus? I hold this against you. What? You've left your first love. Have I, left, have I left my first love in, in favor of comfort or in, in favor of, of civility? You know, I just want to be seen as a friendly person, and I don't want to be confrontational, so I won't approach people about their relationship with Jesus. You know, I'll just keep my mouth shut. Uh, is that the kind of thing that I need to do? Or do I need to show that I believe in him and let him have the chips fall where they may? John twenty one eighteen paraphrase says something like this you used to live for yourself peter but now no longer you will die here and start living for me jesus restored him he broke him but he restored him the bible tells us a lot of things but doesn't tell us about the death of peter We understand that Peter was supposedly crucified upside down because he did not feel worthy to be crucified in the same position as his Lord. Wow. Peter experienced God's grace and his mercy and his forgiveness. I think I need to pray for the same thing, that God would break me and make me how he wants me to be. I need to be willing to be like Peter And have my heart broken and restored. Well, we come to the conclusion 
And we think about the greatness of Jesus and these stories and what he had accomplished and all that he has said and all that he has done. Jesus stands alone, doesn't he? He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. We look at these stories and we recognize in his relationship to Peter, he can accomplish anything that he wants to. I wonder what it was like when Jesus walked into the temple at 12 years old. You know the story. He left his family and goes in and, you know, they, they, they go on and he stays there to talk to the temple leadership. He's 12 years old. I, I wonder if, the, if, if when the doctors of the law questioned him and they said, son, how old are you? <laughs> Jesus could have said something like, well, uh, on my mother's side, I'm 12 years old. But on my dad's side, I'm eternal from everlasting to everlasting. On my mother's side, I get thirsty. On my father's side, I'm the water of life. On my mother's side, I get hungry. On my father's side, I can take a lunch and feed 5,000. On my mother's side, I am homeless. I don't have a place to lay my head. On my father's side, I own the cattle on a thousand hills. On my mother's side, I wept at the graveside of my friend Lazarus. On my father's side, I said, Lazarus. And he came forth. I relate to those stories through Peter. Jesus spoke like no one else because he was God. And he can speak into your life and do to you what he did to Peter if we let him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you and I pray you would help us to look at this passage and the many different ones we have seen tonight, and remind ourselves of the way that Peter saw you, Lord. May we see you through our eyes, through this text that we have read tonight. May it change us, may it motivate us, may it drive us to want to be all that we can be for him. Lord, we we lay ourselves at your feet. We ask you to break us and remold us and make us into what you want. Forgive us when we have failed you like Peter did. Help us to see that you provide for us and that you want us to go find other people and bring them to you. All these things tell us through Peter's eyes what we should be. May we be that tonight. In Jesus we ask. Amen.